Welcome to the conversation. A little bit of a different conversation this week where um, actually the, the first guest on the podcast that's a woman is here, my girlfriend Heather. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, we're we're talking about a conversation that um, has, has been talked about a few times on this podcast, but I, I think the perspective that you have um, in in how things have things that have happened, how you've worked through and dealt with things, and what that process, that lifelong process, has really been. I, I think it's a it's a really valuable conversation. But we're 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 talking about the aftermath of suicide today, and um, I, I think the best place to start with this is you you've got a story. I want you to tell the parts of it that you're most comfortable with, and then we'll get into some conversation from there. Okay. Okay. So when this will be released, will be 29 years since I lost my father to suicide. Mm -hmm. I would have been about eight years old. This was 1994. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a time where all of that was very taboo. You know, people right. didn't talk about it. People didn't understand it. You know, it was always seen as, you know, the easy way out at that point. Nobody understood the mental illness aspect of it. So um, I would have been about eight years old. Mm -hmm. I, there was a, you know, I'm not going to go into like the whole train of events that happened with it. Sure. But there, there were instances that transpired before that made my mother want to pack us up and take us about an hour north sure. to my grandmother's house. Sure. Um, the next morning, she was trying to call and get a hold of my dad. Couldn't get him on the phone. Called my grandfather. Now, this would have been his father, who lived really just across the street. Right. Um, and he had to climb through a window in order to get into the house. And then once he climbed through the window and went upstairs to their bedroom, you know, he had found that my, my father had shot himself. So I think it's an important conversation to have because September is suicide prevention month. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it, you know, can be prevented, you know, it's being there for people. It's, you know, supporting one another, therapy, there's, there's a lot of things that you can do, you know, to, to try to ease that for another person. I, I and you mentioned that there's, there's, there's a lot more awareness, acceptance, help tools uh, available for, um, for, for um, a lot more awareness around mental illness as a whole. Uh, you know, but I think one of the things that you're actually sharing, because I have talked to men on here that have had suicidal thoughts and they've been willing to open up about what led them to think, you know, kind of like their thought patterns um, and then kind of how things have changed, but still the things that they are kind of lurking uh, in, in their minds and for you, I mean, this is 
this has had ramifications uh, just throughout your entire life. And I think one of the things we hear a lot is, well, you know, if you if anyone follows through with a suicide attempt, there's there's so there, there's a ripple effect of the da- there's the damage it's causing to everyone around um, is is something that isn't often thought about before somebody attempts that. And what you're doing is you're providing actually accounts and a story of, of really what that's been for you. Um, and so how, I, I mean, cause there's, there's stuff in your childhood, you, you were eight when this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was, how did this impact you in your childhood? And then if we go, and it doesn't have to be 100% succinct, you know, in chronological order, but like, how did this affect you as a child? How did it affect you as you were, were growing up? And then how does it, does it still affect you? So, I mean, as an eight-year-old kid, like, you don't understand any of it. All you know is that you just lost your dad. You don't understand what happened. You don't understand why. You don't don't understand any of that. And honestly, unfortunately, you know, it's not something I'm ever going to understand because I I can't have that conversation. Right. But as an eight-year-old kid, having the most important person in your life taken by his own hand is huge. Like I was very much like that daddy's girl. Like that was me. Like he was the, always the person I gravitated to. He was always the person I was with. He's the one that I look the most alike. So, you know, you don't understand it. And, you know, you have, a brother who's two years older and another brother who's six years younger. Mm-hmm. And all, all you know is everybody is visibly upset. Yeah. You know, it, it affected, it affected my whole life because we, we had lived in Tamaqua, which, you know, is about an hour South of Scranton, which is where we eventually moved yeah. because my mother couldn't stay in that house which looking back at it, I completely understand. Absolutely. So she, you know, we moved our entire life an hour North to be closer to my grandmother, my aunt, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I was picked on in school because I didn't have a dad. And if they, they knew the reason why, especially like the kids and who I, you know, was in school with when I was in Tamaqua who knew what happened You know, I remember there was an instance where there was a boy at our house playing and my brother was there too, my older brother. And I don't, he was arguing with me and his comeback was, well, at least I have a dad. To which my brother punched him. Yeah. So growing up and especially at that time, like growing up with that stigma, like that's, that's how it was. Yeah. It was not. it wasn't even that it was viewed as weakness, any, anything that had to do with mental health or mental illness. It was that you're just flawed as a human being. Like you're not, you're less than. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, and that had to be really hard for you seeing I mean, this, you had your sadness that you were dealing with and then 
everybody else around you. Um, and just, you, you probably, I mean, did you try to take on emotionally? Were you trying to take on some of what everybody else was dealing with just to kind of ease, ease their feelings? So I can't remember as far as my brothers, like how they're, like how they reacted to certain things, mm -hmm. but I, I did absolutely take on a lot from my mother, mm -hmm. you know, because at that point, like he was the love of her life at that point. Like, and she, she just lost him. And I feel like she felt guilty right. because of the events that led to it. Right. Which then kind of trickled down into everybody else. Like you, you can't feel that amount of guilt and everyone else is going to know it. Everyone else is going to sense it too. And, you know, my grandparents, like my father's parents, I think also blamed my mother. So there, there was that added aspect to it too. Like my mother took on a lot of blame and guilt because of it. Because again, you don't, you don't understand what happened. You don't understand why you just have to deal with the after effects of it. And it's so much easier for, really all of us, I mean, instead of looking at what roles people play in a situation, it's easier to point the blame. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I could see where that would be very easily turned into a, a, um, a you know, uh, instead of us coming together, us against you, because because of you, um, you know, our son is no longer here, which is, which is which is awful and i think anybody looking at the outside would be like that's was not her fault at all but i mean i, I feel like that's what people do is they blame absolutely how <clears throat> excuse me still getting over the the cough while we're talking <laughs> um but you know this this stuff you mentioned bearing some of the emotional weight of things and just trying to process things. How, how does this still impact you as an adult? I never fully get over the fact that I feel like I was a big part of it because again, without getting into every detail, you know, some of the events that transpired before was, was because of me, like an event that I had that kind of was the catalyst for a lot of it. Like it was my event. It was my thing. Like if I wasn't doing that specific event that triggered these, like trigger yeah. that happened, what yeah. happened after, like, would it have still happened? So like, there's a part of me that is always going to keep that question because again, it's not something that I'm going to get an answer to, you know, and one thing I will say is, you know, 29 years ago, and it's still prevalent today, you know, men keep a lot of stuff in, especially like in that instance where, you know, they are, they have kids, they have a wife, they have a job. I feel like they need to be like that strong person, that, that one who like can't break, can't break down can't show any emotion. And I mean, that was absolutely the case with him. Yep. And 29, you know, 
29 years later, like it's still a thing. I feel like some, some people with therapy and everything have gotten a little better with it, but I do still feel like that is a huge mentality for a lot of men. It's well, and I think definitely, I mean, it's, it's people in general, but with a segment of the podcast we're recording, um, you know, focusing on it for men, one thing you'll hear, and it is more accepted now to open up and talk about it. The tricky thing is, is we were never really taught to how to do that. So I feel like every time, every time you, you hear something in the news where a celebrity has committed suicide, we always hear that, you know, Hey, I'm here, you know, I'm always here to talk. And one, I don't think people, when they say that, I think they mean it in that instance. Like, oh my gosh, if the choice is somebody's not going to be here or somebody's going to tell me about what's what's on their mind, what's going on in their life, I want to know. But the truth of the matter is if somebody opens up to you about what's going on in their life and it will be stuff that's gone on for decades, like you're not going to be mentally, you're not going to be mentally equipped for that. And two, I think the other thing is we weren't really, we have a lot more tools and resources now, but I feel like we're playing catch up because we weren't taught how to do all this stuff growing up. I think you're absolutely right. So I, I think um, as, as we're talking about suicide and, and men in general when it comes to this. Um, we really do have to get to the bottom of it. Um, what I have found on these conversations that I have with men is that they feel like in their own lives, there's some level of inadequacy. Like they don't feel like they're measuring up. You know, you mentioned the things, the, the, the family, the, the marriage, the career, the ideal of what it used to be, you know, what, what we were kind of, what was positioned as, as being very manly. Like there's a lot of stuff to live up to. And one of the things that we hear is, well, you don't talk about this stuff. So now if people have been going through the first couple of decades, maybe even half their life, and now all of a sudden they're like, well, I got to talk about this stuff. Like this stuff is really weighing me down. Um, I, I think we have to get to the bottom of it. And now for you, I, I, I want to transition a little bit away from the conversation around um, men and suicide. But for you, what has that process been like of, you mentioned that you still have a lot of the feelings from childhood and a lot of the, the, the guilt and, and the heaviness from that. What has healing been like for me, for you? I think for a lot of it, I didn't. Yeah. Like it took years and years and years. And you know this because we have talked about it. You like my my outlet was dance. So like I danced since I was a little kid for the longest time and still do. And I just would throw myself into that. Yeah. Because when I was there in that moment, I would think about nothing. But dance, what I was doing, the music, that's where I would be. So honestly, I probably passed my teenage years before I actually 
started to really try to deal with it. Yeah. And a lot of it came after I turned 16. Yeah. Like when an event happened to me, that kind of made not that I ever had thoughts like that, but um there was like an event that transpired that, you know, kind of made me really withdrawn. Yep. And at that point, I did take a step back and kind of start to think about what happened, start to realize, you know, there was a lot more that I didn't know about that was going on. <clears throat> and even now, like I just recently started therapy. And we are, you know, diving into that as well, because that, that creates a lot of things, you know, from teenage years to adults, like there's abandonment issues, there, there's attachment issues, like there's a lot of things that come up because of one event that happened when you were eight years old. Yeah. And it's all tied together. Mm -hmm. Um, I therapy is it's another, another topic I, I get into a lot because I think if you have a therapist that you can have a really that you you essentially connect with and you really feel comfortable with and you have this really solid working relationship with I think therapy is the the foundational tool that can help unravel all of the stuff that we've picked up through life you know, because we're talking about massive major events that have impacted you. But there's also like day-to-day -day interactions. You mentioned being picked on as a kid. Each one of these interactions you collected as you it's it's kind of I think I think it's kind of like a glacier effect. <laughs> like you're just moving along and you're just picking this stuff up. And you start as this small block of ice. And it's just clearly what I do on a podcast because you guys can't see, but I'm doing this whole visual representation with my hand of a, of a glacier forming and picking up more and more stuff. And I think <clears throat> if we get into a, working with a therapist, we're able to unravel a lot of the stuff. But it's not easy. It, as a matter of fact, because you and I have talked, I mean, we're, we're both in therapy, which I think, by the way, like if you're – if you're in a relationship with someone, I think you really should each be in therapy for yourselves, but it also helps when you're, when you're coming together and, you know, really working on the things that you have between the, the, the two of you. So, I mean, I think therapy is, is a foundational thing. What, what has, what has that process been like for you? Because you're right, you started recently, but you've, you've really dove right into it. So the last therapy session I had, which would have been what two two weeks ago, um, that was the first session that I had that I told the story of my dad. Yeah. Because it was the topic was the whole less than you know not worth not worth it conversation, mm -hmm. and that that was the beginning of what made me start to feel that way. Like that's what started it. And it's exactly like you said, we started there and then we picked up things along the way. Like this happened that added to it. Yeah. This happened that added to it. And then here you are now trying to tackle that feeling of not being good enough. Like that's, that's a really, really tough topic. And I've 
honestly just started diving into it. So it's, it was really heavy that day that we had that conversation, but it's not done yet either. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's still something that I'm actively working through from an event almost 30 years ago. Well, and it's like, because I think there's certain things when, um, even, even when we have a recollection of what's happened, I think there's certain aspects of it that our mind packs away to protect us. And then when you start working through it and you touch on something that you're like, oh, I've completely forgot that this even happened. Um, you then are diving <clears throat> into something that is much deeper, much heavier, and it is exhausting. I mean, you will leave a therapy session and be mentally spent for the rest of the day. And I think that's something that, again, I want to position therapy in a very realistic, very realistic point of view. Because there are, if you connect with a therapist that you work really well with, then you're going to have the heaviness of some of the sessions that you work through. Um, and then like you're saying, it's not like you just have the conversation and you're done. It's like you've just started to peel this, this layer back and then here's another one. And there's probably another right. one underneath that. Um, has therapy helped you connect with who you are as a person? Are you getting a better sense of who you are? I think I had a decent understanding of who I was. Mm -hmm. I, I always, I always felt comfortable with who I was as a person, me as an individual. Mm -hmm. um, so with the therapy sessions that I've had, I'm going to say no. Okay. Only because, I mean, I've had a handful of therapy sessions so far. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of tipping the iceberg on that one. So that hasn't come up yet. I mean, it's made me realize how certain things impact me as a person, Yeah. but I don't think it's really helped me get a better understanding of who I am, what I feel maybe. Okay. Well, so let's, and we, we will definitely, we can touch on like being able to, to know what it is that you feel, but you mentioned that you had a pretty good sense of, of who you are as a person. What's really helped you throughout your life find that, that level of self-awareness? Dance. Dance? Dance. So let's talk a little bit more about dance. Um, and, and this is this is going to be, this will lighten things up a little bit. And the other part is I just, I I, I always love when people have pursuits <clears throat> that, they, that they take on for just large chunks of their life, years and decades. So when did you start in dance and what type of dance was it? So I was probably three years old. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what I started with, but, you know, whether it was ballet, jazz, um, I think at that age, it's kind of typical to just do ballet because ballet sure. is the basics. Yeah. And once you get the basics down, you can kind of taper off into jazz or tap or hip hop or whatever off of that. Yeah. So it was, it was honestly probably ballet, you know, three years old starting out. Um, and it's always something I came back to. Like it's, yeah. it's something I did throughout my entire life. Yeah. And like, I would try things in the interim. Like I tried 
cheerleading at one point. Yeah. And I had a conversation with my coach. She's like, well, you need to choose because they conflicted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the practices and the games. And yeah. I was like, peace out. I'm going to dance. Yeah. Um, I tried softball once and I'm like, nope, nope. I just want to dance. So, and you mentioned like, what was your week? What, what was your, what was your schedule like when you were a kid with dance? So I had individual classes. Okay. Like there are group dance classes mm -hmm. and then there are classes that you can just do yourself. Okay. So I had individual classes. So like when I did the recital, it was just me on stage doing it myself. Mm -hmm. Like nobody else was with me. Mm -hmm. Um, so probably at a young age, probably like two or three days a week. Okay. You know, once I got older, I was there every night. Yeah. Because it was either my classes or a combination of classes that I had and classes that I helped teach. Like, so there'd be times that I'd be there from like five to nine. Yeah. Like when I was in high school. Yep. And it was just kind of like how things were for you. Yeah. Um, and you still, I mean, this, uh, what I've, what, what I've always just been impressed with is how you one go back to dance because you still do it now as an adult and just how your mind works with it because you not only work on dance but you um if you met somebody on the street and they were like i've always been intimidated to dance you write these routines you do all these things like you could come up with a step-by-step -step progression where somebody can work on this for um you know the first month this for the second and you could have them working step by step and have a basic framework just thought up in your head in just a couple of minutes i know you're, you're just nodding <laughs> but that's like I, I mean so it's it's something that you i mean you you immerse yourself into and there's all kinds of marketing daryl coming into this um there's all kinds of stuff that you you've you've done with dance as an adult there's all kinds of things that you're thinking about and working on now more on that later at another time but um, I, I've just, I, I, I love how dance has been an outlet for you. So as far as, as far as you really kind of knowing who you are, dance is the way that you connected with yourself, right? And you always just had a really strong sense of who you were. I did. And dance is what helped, you know, sometimes it was an escape. Sometimes it was to work through a certain feeling that I, I had at the moment or to work through. I don't know, at that age, a fight I had with my friends. I don't, you know, yeah, anything. it could have, it was a combination of things. And then it, you know, became like habit for me to sit down and like, I would sit in my room and I would have my little notebook out with the big old boom box that everybody <laughs> had, like at that age. Welcome to the nineties. Um, and I would just literally put songs on repeat until I had it completely finished where I had a complete dance, you know, mm -hmm. wrote out in front of me. And it would just be stop, rewind, stop, rewind until I was satisfied with it. And that's something that I, I continue to do. Um, you basically just described, I, I think it's really important for people to figure out what their creative outlet is um, or outlets. Mm -hmm. And they have more than one. And <clears throat> because I think it does help you connect with yourself. Dance has been one for, it's been huge for you. This is one I podcasting is the one that I stumbled upon, but it's it's just a way of of connecting with yourself 
and then sharing how you you see the world or you see things within your life i i love it so well we covered we covered a number of different things um we i i still think um we just need to continue to work at men being able to acknowledge how they feel express how they feel um <clears throat> i i think that's the biggest thing there i think for you <clears throat> it's just been great that you have been you know you, that you were willing to share this because stuff that happened 29 years ago you're still i mean dealing with for this day and i think that's something that when we i know on this podcast everyone talked about the aftermath of that all that much so well before we before we wrap things up is there anything else that we should talk about on this particular episode I just think it's important for people to realize that there are other people out there for them. And sometimes it's, it's fear of starting that conversation, but it, it's a conversation that really needs to be started. Absolutely. Well, I always say when we wrap up a podcast, it's always a good conversation. If you have more things to talk about on future episodes, you and I totally have more things <laughs> that we can talk about on future episodes. So we will definitely do that. Uh, but in the meantime, we appreciate you guys uh, joining us today. Any thoughts that you have on this episode or on the series as a whole, definitely uh, head to mensmentalhealthseries.com. You can uh, you can reach out there through social media, email, whatever CC is for you. Thank you always for listening, and we will talk to you again real soon.